0: When you get married, it's really nice, right? You have your wedding, it's a wonderful time, it's a party, everybody's happy. And then a couple months go by, maybe a year or so, and uh, you start to hear criticisms, right? Anybody familiar with that uh, timeline of events? No? Sarah, it never criticizes you ever? Wow, the perfect husband. No. Here he is folks. I have the, perfect wife, the perfect wife okay. here we go the battle of compliments. No criticisms. One of the greatest criticisms or maybe most most often criticism uh, that wives because husbands don't criticize wives right that's not. That's not uh, appropriate. (laughs) One of the greatest criticisms wives often give to their husbands is that they don't finish what they start. We uh, had a garage door opener in the garage, but it wasn't opening the door. It was in the box for how long was it? A couple months. (laughs) So I bought the thing, but I never hooked it up Um, until there was a lockdown last year. And then I said, okay, now I have no excuse. I'm at home all day. Let's get this thing hooked up because there's no more excuse. Um, You know, the bathroom may look nice, but there's no door. Well, who needs a door on a bathroom anyways, right? (laughs) I had a friend once whose dad started a renovation project in the bathroom and he did the whole thing. It It looked great, but there was no door. Just put a blanket up it's like well i guess it 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 it, it's doing what a door would right it's it's keeping people from seeing what's going on inside but men uh we often don't finish a project all the way unless you're george george he finishes every project he starts so his wife is very blessed but for those with average husbands uh we tend to not finish what we start there's another time uh we bought a new shed (laughs) I'm not joking Uh, we bought a new shed from Costco you know they come in two boxes right that shed uh, was really nice but it stayed in the box in the old shed for for at least a year (laughs) over a year and then what happened was we decided to move from that house so we're like well we're not gonna tear down the old shed and build a new one and then sell it right that doesn't make any sense so we decided to move it to Barb's house And it stayed in her backyard under a tarp for probably another year now eventually we did set it up but it took a very long time yeah and it's not even set up in the proper spot so okay why do i tell you all these things just to say this one thing Uh, we have to finish the course We need to get into the habit of finishing what we start. See, the the Bible says that God will finish the good work He began in you. God is not like me. He's not going to start, He's not going to buy a shed and let it sit for two years inside an old shed. He's going to immediately begin to construct that thing, to put it up, to start to work on it, to to make it useful, to, to make it useful for its purpose. See, you have a purpose. God gave you a purpose. And when he saves you he begins to construct you so that you begin to fulfill that purpose like a shed a shed in a box is not fulfilling its purpose but a shed constructed is paul was sensing that his ministry was soon coming to an end and he felt compelled at the time to go to jerusalem to finish out the course that Jesus had put him on to testify of the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And although hard times awaited him in Jerusalem, he was only concerned with one thing, and that was pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ and completing the course, finishing the job, finishing the race. So he he set his sights on returning to Jerusalem, but in a very real sense, his eyes weren't really on the earthly Jerusalem. He was looking forward to the city that comes from God. He was looking forward to the heavenly, the new Jerusalem, where he would finally be face to face with his Lord Jesus in peace and joy. And, you know, I find myself being more and more detached from this world lately. Um, seeing the way that our country is going, how it's falling apart, and our freedoms are eroding, and there's... there's Dark, evil things from the past that are being brought to light. And I'm feeling like, man, this isn't my home. This isn't where I belong. This isn't where I fit in. But while we're here, we have to testify. We have, to, we have a job to do to, to testify, to make known the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And Paul was commissioned to do that, and he knew this wasn't his home. He knew that that, that Jerusalem, the city he was going to, was not really the final destination. There was another Jerusalem. There was a new Jerusalem, the city of God. And while he was still on earth, there had to be work to be accomplished. So after Paul's stay in Ephesus, he hopped on a boat and he departed for Macedonia. And from there he traveled to Greece. But guess what happened? another plot was exposed against him. Every week, it's the same thing I'm preaching here with Paul's missionary journeys. He goes somewhere, and then there's a plot against him. People are scheming and conspiring to to have him arrested or or to have him killed. So here's Paul again. He goes to to, to Greece, and, and, and a plot was exposed. Somebody said, hey, Paul, someone's trying to kill you. There's a group here. And so... He was about to set sail to Syria, but he decided to change course and go back to Macedonia. And so there, there was a large, uh, diverse crowd of, co- of converts from the cities of Berea and Derbe and Asia. And, and they went on ahead of him. So they met him there and they were waiting for him in a place called Troas. So Paul set sail for Troas, but he had something else on his mind. He had somewhere else on his mind. And as he's going back and forth and there's plots being exposed against him, he has this one thing on his mind. He, I have to go to Jerusalem. He knew he was nearing the end of his ministry. How did he know this? You know, you, you talk to older people, and you know, I've heard stories from nursing homes, and people just know. They just Sometimes they just know, I'm nearing the end. I'm, I'm going to die soon. How do you know? I don't know, I just know. Now, of course, Paul had the Holy Spirit, and so hey, the Spirit revealed to him, hey, your course is almost done. Your job's almost done. Your time here is almost done, but but go to Jerusalem first before that, that time comes. And it's really easy for us to get distracted, as I displayed this morning. And, and distraction is one of my weakest temptations, as you all know very well. Uh, you know, I know what Christ has given me to do. I know the job, but there always seems to be an urging, pressing matter. And usually the matter is something that isn't an obvious distraction. Look, if distractions were always obvious, we'd never give in to them. It'd be easy, oh, that's obviously a distraction. I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna get involved in that, but they're, they're, they're rarely ever uh, obvious to us. Maybe somebody else might be watching our lives going, hey, that was pretty obvious, how did you not see that? But to us, it's not very obvious. The devil knows he's been studying us, he's been studying humanity since the beginning. He knows very well the human uh, condition, and he's able to use cunning, right? The Bible says in Genesis 3 that the serpent is cunning. He's, you know, there's a, there's a, a children's Bible I read to the boys where it says that he's a sneaky snake. That's a good way to put it. Children's Bibles sometimes have a good way of simplifying. He's a sneaky snake. He's cunning. He's sneaky. You think he's your buddy, but then he turns on you. So be careful of his sneaky distractions. Be careful uh, when something, even something good, is getting you off the course. And sometimes you can volunteer too much. I remember there was a time in ministry where I had something to do at church almost every night. Sunday, obviously, was worship. Uh, Sunday night, we had a young adults thing. Tuesday, there was a junior high ministry. Uh, Wednesday was a prayer meeting. Friday was youth. And so I was engulfed in good things, but I missed the best thing. Here's the irony in all of this. is I was distracted by ministry in such a way that I was too busy to do ministry. Like, how does that happen? I was in church so much that I wasn't out there making Jesus known. and I wasn't out there bringing the gospel to the world. I was insulated in this Christianized bubble. My whole world was like Christianese. It was unhealthy. Uh, there's so much that needs to get done in our lives, and there's so many needs and so little time, but Jesus has given us a task to accomplish. He's he's given us a mission to make Him known, to glorify God in our lives, and the devil is working overtime to get us distracted from that mission even with good things. Even with good things. My whole life was like, I only knew Christians. You know, that's when it kind of dawned on me. I'm like, I don't really talk to unbelievers at all. (laughs) It's not because I don't want to. It's just because I don't have time. I'm always in church. Dealing with these Christians who are, you know, I won't go there. (laughs) Ultimately, we're all on a journey to Jerusalem. We're all serving Jesus, and we're on this pilgrimage to the kingdom of God. And the Bible calls this place that we're headed to the New Jerusalem. And Paul had many distractions, many. I mean, talk about distractions, plots. Everywhere he went, it was like, hey, Paul, you got to know there's a group here, and they're, like, going to kill you. Hey, Paul, you got to know there's a group here who said that they're not going to eat or drink until you're dead. I mean, talk about distractions. But he remained focused. He knew he had to go uh, where he had to go. He knew the New Jerusalem was where he was going. But before he went to that physical, New Jeru- or that, that physical Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, sorry, before he went to the heavenly one, he had to go to the earthly one. Okay? I'm distracted again. Our mission here on earth is not done until Christ says it's done. I love what Adam always says. He says, "I'm not afraid of anything," although I don't know if that's true. I'm gonna spook you one day and prove that's wrong. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hide in your closet and just pop out in the morning. Oh, he'll just be stone-faced. What are do you doing in my house? Um, anyways, he always says, "When I die, I die." God knows. God knows. He's given you a set period of time, and. You're not gonna go any farther or any shorter. That's your set time, that's your allotted time. Now here's the kicker, you don't know the allotted time. You don't know, he does, but you don't. You don't, your course is finished when he says it's finished, put it that way. Sometimes a big distraction for us is in knowing where we gotta go or what we gotta do. That's a cunning one. We're, we're so laser focused on what God has given us to do that we miss what God is putting in front of us right now. Okay, I know God wants me to preach. I know I believe he wants me to start churches and help equip other believers for ministry. But if I become too laser focused on that future uh, result, task, I can miss what's right in front of me. And that happens to pastors a lot. That happens to pastors You read about it all the time. Um, You know, they're so focused on the ministry God has given them, and it's a good thing to make disciples, to build up the church, that they miss the thing in front of them, right? They miss their family. Uh, They miss their extended family. You can miss what's right in front of you for what God has given you. I know that sounds like, what? How is that possible? Trust me, it's possible. You know, I often fall short as a husband, as a father, and I, you know, God has told me to, in His Word, to disciple the children, my wife, and make disciples in the world. I can't neglect either, and everything has to be in this right order, and finding that balance, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. Where's the, see, a, a good practice is to make a priority list. And then stick to it you know a lot of times we have the right answers what's the most important thing okay serve god got it good all right check what's what's the next important thing okay family husband wife kids okay good what's the next important thing uh you know the body of christ okay and then after that who cares other stuff But those three things are are the most important. Everyone would, would, would give you that list in that order. But then examine your life and you'll see it's probably, your life is probably not oriented consistently with that list. A lot of times it's job first, then family, then church, then God. You can't neglect either thing, but they have to be in the right order. What has God put right in front of you? you know, don't, miss, don't miss the mission today for the mission tomorrow. Don't miss the mission today for the mission tomorrow. The mission tomorrow may never come. Don't Keep your eyes on Jerusalem, where, where, where we're all going, but finish the course that He has you on right now. Do the work that's right in front of you right now. Don't neglect it for the work that you, you, you think um, is before you. Do, it, do what's right in front of you. So, and as you do that, you'll, you'll, you'll start to realize that the work right in front of you is the, the mission. Tomorrow is the mission today, basically, is what I'm trying to say. So before Paul went to Jerusalem, he had a detour in Troas. And believe it or not, there was a mission for him to do right there immediately. It's almost as if. I read the story before I preached it. On the first Sunday, Paul was in Troas. The believers gathered together to eat and fellowship and pray and receive the word and Paul got up and he began teaching. So, everyone's eating and fellowshiping and he goes, "All right, guys, I got a word for you." And he says, "I got to teach you guys something here, but I'm leaving tomorrow." So, let's sit down. Let me tell you what I got to say cuz I got to go tomorrow. Paul talked and then he talked. And then he talked, and then he talked, and he kept on talking. And this was intended to be what I think, according to the passage, because he says, I got to go tomorrow, uh, a short word of encouragement, but evolved into a very long word of encouragement. And, and he began his, his, uh, his talk sometime, you know, maybe 6 or 7 p.m. And the scriptures say in Acts 20, verse 7, it says, he prolonged his speech Until midnight. Until midnight. 6 to 7 to about midnight. And as he spoke the word, the room began to grow dark because the sun was setting. And so the owner of the home got up, it says, and he lights his lamp so Paul could continue speaking. And, and there was a young man in the room listening to the message named Eutychus. And he was sitting by the window. And as the night progressed on, his eyes began to get heavy. And no doubt the young man fought to keep his eyes open. But with each second that passed, it was as if iron plates were placed on his eyelids and he just couldn't keep his eyes open and and they became more and more heavy and he eventually fell asleep but that's not all that fell he didn't just fall asleep he literally fell out of the window three stories high to his death you didn't expect that to, to happen did you so I've seen some people fall falling asleep during my teachings Thanks be to God, my sermons weren't so long and boring that people died. But to be fair, it was midnight. It probably wasn't a boring sermon. It was just late. I remember one time I was preaching and a fella fell asleep. And that's fine. That happens. As a preacher, if you can't get up here and look out into a crowd and see a few people sleeping and not get offended, don't do this. Don't do this. It's going to happen. That's fine. It happens. I get it. But he didn't just fall asleep, this guy, he began to loudly snore, like, how do I describe this? It was distracting, (laughs) put it that way. It, It distracted the whole service. People began laughing and snickering. So what do you do? You're up here, you're trying to preach God's word, something serious, something heavy, and there's a guy just snoring, like loudly, and people are literally, LOLing in real life (laughs) no he was in a deep sleep so what did I do well I actually stopped and said excuse me sir can you wake up like he wouldn't wake up people began poking him shaking him get up wake up and nothing worked he eventually did wake up and we just resumed the service we just pretended like it never happened but I'm thankful he didn't die. I can some, somewhat sympathize with Paul here. You know, it's an encouragement to me that even the great apostle Paul had people falling asleep during his sermons. But the kid fell out of the window. It's one thing for a guy to be snoring, ha ha, it's funny. It's another thing for a kid to fall out of a window and die. I don't think you guys understand like how awkward that is. He's dead. He fell out of the window. He's dead. Imagine if somebody just like fell off their chair here and died right now. That's what it would be like. It's like, what, what do you do? He wasn't even done his teaching. He just died. The kid just fell and died. This was a distraction. This was the distraction of distractions. No one expected that to happen. So what does he do? What does Paul do? Well, he goes down into the darkness of the night and in Acts ten twenty says this. He says to the people, do not be alarmed. Well, okay, but some, like, how do you not be alarmed? He says, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Paul, the kid got resurrected. The kid was dead on the ground. Paul's like, hey, you know, arise or whatever. And the kid gets up and he's alive. His, his life returned to him. And, and what does Paul do? He goes back to teaching. All right, I'm not done yet. Get back upstairs. I'm not done yet. I got a word. That's how important the Word of God is. It's so important that if someone dies, we got to continue preaching this thing. (laughs) It's not over yet. And it says he literally taught until daybreak. He taught all night long. There's nothing quite like a halftime resurrection for a church service. I've never experienced that, but I can imagine there's nothing quite like that to liven up a sermon that goes for like 12 hours long. Six hours in, Resurrection time, get everybody pumped up again, and let's keep going. Imagine going to a dinner and a Bible study where the preacher taught all night long, and your only break was to witness a resurrection of a young man who, who had died, who'd fallen out of the window. and you'd, you'd probably go to more Bible studies. Now look, if you come on Thursday, there's no guarantee that'll happen. And I hope it doesn't happen. But you'd go to more Bible studies if that sort of uh, a spectacle was, uh, was common. So despite all that excitement, Paul's mind was still set where it had to be. I mean, talk about distractions, man. He goes to one place, they're plotting to kill him. He goes to another place, and someone dies, and he resurrects. It's like, whoa, all these distractions. He could have easily got, got sucked into the, the, the hype of all of this, but he didn't. He had his mind firmly said he knew where he had to go. He had to go to Jerusalem. Troas was just a, a pit stop. So he taught the people there. He did the job he had to do that was right in front of him, but he didn't forget the big picture, and neither should we. Always be living out your life with your eye on Jerusalem, looking toward heaven uh, with a heavenly mindset. There's a lot of work to be done here, but that work can't be accomplished without a heavenly mindset. You can't make disciples and priests preach christ on earth without your mind being in heaven having your eyes set on jesus is the only way we can finish the course on earth so put your hands to the plow here and now work hard for the lord preach all night so to speak but do it with the end in mind do it with christ on mind do it with the heavenly jerusalem on your mind the the goal where you're headed the end live your life from the the end backwards Paul left the exciting Bible study with his mind set on going to Jerusalem, finishing the course. And so he set sail from Troas. He went to and fro, eventually ending up in Miletus. And from there, sensing again that his time was coming to an end soon among these churches, he summoned the Ephesian elders for a final face-to-face farewell. And when they arrived, Paul gave a tear-jerking speech, encouraging the elders there to stay faithful and firm in the truth that they received in the gospel. Paul did not know everything, but the Spirit of God had revealed a few important details about the rest of his ministry that he felt compelled to share with the elders of the church there. And here's what he says in Acts 20, verses 22 to 25. He says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the spirits, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of, uh, sorry, and behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone ab- about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So he gathers the elders. He says, hey guys, this is it. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the spirit. It's where he wants me. And the Spirit has made known to me what's gonna to happen to me everywhere I go. Imprisonments, what do you say? Afflictions. Isn't that something? You know, you hear you hear people and preachers who go, The Lord wants me here, or, or I feel like the Lord wants me there. Why? Well, for this and for that. You never hear people say, Well, the Lord wants me there so that I can be afflicted and thrown in prison. <laughs> never hear that, do you? But Paul says, I have to be there and i know because god has revealed when i go that there's going to be imprisonments and afflictions awaiting me but i have to go because god wants me there because i don't account my life as, as of any value or precious to myself i have to finish the course no matter what what it brings and then he says i know I'll never see your face again, at least on this side of heaven. He knew he had to go there. And that once he was there, there was going to be issues. But the heart of his speech is this in verse 24. I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul had so many distractions, but that was his like, His his focus, his tunnel vision was, hey, I don't care about my life. I have to finish the course that Jesus gave me, no matter what. He had to finish it. People often say it's not the way you start, it's how you finish that matters. Now look, there's some truth to that. You know, you may have the worst start to a marathon ever, but if you finish strong and you win, nobody cares about how you started. You don't even care about your bad start at that point. This life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a course. And maybe you've had a lousy start. Maybe you had a lousy start. Maybe you're sensing that you're nearing the finish line. But it's been a bad marathon for you, maybe. The message for all of us today is the same. Stay focused on the Lord Jesus and finish the race he has you on. Finish the race. Just finish it. Don't give up. That's it. Paul knew that the next season of his life was filled with afflictions and imprisonments, but he didn't account his life as precious. If there's anything in life that's precious, it's life, right? Paul says, no, that's not what's precious to me. What's precious to me is Christ, spreading his fame to everyone. Even if I end up in jail, even if I end up afflicted. And I know I will because God has told me that's what's going to happen. So I don't know what season of life you're in, whether you're just starting your walk with God, or you you don't walk with God, or, or you've been walking with God for a long time. Regardless of where you are, I can say this with confidence. God wants you to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to finish the course he's put before you. To put distractions aside, to be about God's business, to run the course with endurance and perseverance and finish strong to receive the reward he gives to all those who persevere. So after Paul spoke with the elders, they all knelt down and they prayed together, they wept together, they were filled with sorrow because they wouldn't see Paul again. And he left them, awaiting the day that he would see them again. Not in Jerusalem, in the New Jerusalem. So the Christian faith is by definition an end-time faith. It's eschatological. That's a big word that just means the end of all things. The final, the end of the world, if you will. I don't know if I like to call it the end of the world. It's the beginning of the world. The new beginning of the world might be a better way to put it. And all Christians who understand the significance of the new, the new heaven and the new earth look forward to that day. Sometimes newer believers might say, Oh no, oh, Jesus might be coming soon. Oh my goodness. Oh, and they're all afraid. I go, what's the problem? Oh, well, if Jesus comes, then the world will end. Did you, have you read the Bible? It doesn't end. It gets better. You know, there, when I was a new believer, I heard a lot of the, the, the teachings from the... What was that guy on TV? Jack Van Impey. You guys heard of that guy? Good. Don't even bother with it. But it was always like doom and gloom. The rapture's coming, the rapture's coming. Make sure you get your rations and your in your in your uh, uh your, your your doomsday prepping and all that because the rapture's coming. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, if the rapture's coming, why would you prepare with are you expecting to be left behind? I never understood that. All these guys are like, the rapture's coming, the rapture's coming. So buy all of these tubs of food so when it comes, you'll have enough food to survive the tribulation. What? Why are you expecting to be left behind? Anyways, distracted again. Just something I never understood. We're looking forward to the day. If you understand what the day is, if you're in Christ, of course, if you're not in Christ, you should be utterly terrified by that. But Jesus died and he rose from the grave and he promised to come back to establish his kingdom. How did he pray? Lord? A Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for this to happen. If you're a believer, then you're looking forward, you're hastening, you're looking to Christ to come. You're saying, Lord, come quickly. But our Jerusalem is not an earthly city like the Paul, the one Paul was headed to. We're looking forward to that heavenly city, an eternal Jerusalem. And some of you might be going, "What are you talking about, heavenly Jerusalem, New Jerusalem?" Okay, this is what it says in Revelation chapter 21. This is sort of the um, the synopsis, if you will, of the New Jerusalem. So, if you don't know what the New Jerusalem is, this kind of lays it out nice for you. Revelation 21 verses 1 and 4, 1 to 4, says, "Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth." So Paul is looking towards that. He's saying there's coming a day wherein the whole world will be transformed. And the things of this world, which are death, mourning, crying, pain, these things that we endure here will be gone. He says they will pass away. Paul was traveling to the current Jerusalem, the the earthly one, to finish the course Jesus had him on. But in the spiritual sense, he had his eyes on the new Jerusalem. He knew that the, the affliction and the suffering and the pain that awaited him there was going to pass away into this glory, the new Jerusalem, where he would dwell with Jesus forever and ever in peace, in joy. So he spent some time in Miletus. He raised the young man from the dead. He said farewell to the elders in Ephesus. But through it all, his eyes were fixed. He had, there was distractions, but he didn't let them get him off course. He knew where he was going. He knew where he had to be. He did the work in front of him while moving to where he had to go. He was laser focused to finish the course. That Jesus had him on and when that course was finished he knew that he'd put off this mortal life receive his eternal passport if you will put on eternal life like a garment and would rule and reign with the Lord Jesus forever and ever so the encouragement this morning is pretty simple get your eyes off of the world now that doesn't mean not caring about the world that doesn't mean not loving your neighbor that doesn't mean not fighting and establishing justice in the world that's not what that means it means not um, not serving in the world uh, uh, order, if you will. Look, this world is not our home. We're aliens in this place. We're ambassadors in this place. This place is screwed up, and God has sent us out as ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? They bring the message of the king. They say, hey, here's what my king says. And so what does he say? He says, repent and believe, because I'm coming to this place, and when I come again, I'm gonna rule it. So as ambassadors, we don't ignore the world. Yes, we have our focus on the, on the uh, heavenly uh, uh, Jerusalem, but while we're in the world as ambassadors, we make known to them, hey, look, look where we're looking, he's coming. And when he comes, was does the psalm say? Kiss the son lest he be angry with you. He's coming, and when he comes, if you're not with him, you're against him. And he wins. So don't be distracted by the world. Instead, tell the world about the king who's coming to rule and reign. Tell them about the city of God. Finish the course he has you on now. Serve God and testify to His grace. But always remind yourself, this world is not your home. This is a temporary estate. We're in a foreign land. We are, I suppose, sort of refugees, if you will. Your king is coming and he's bringing your city with him. So, as I always do, I end with a Spurgeon quote. He says this. He sums up the joy of a life lived for Jesus well when he says, Ring the bells of heaven tune your voices sons of earth he who makes all things new is on the throne working out his holy pleasure hallelujah hallelujah amen so Dave would you tune your voice because he who makes all things new is on the throne keep your eyes firmly fixed on him on the new Jerusalem where your savior is and finish the course he has you on do the work in front of you and finish what He's had, what He has for you to do. Let's pray, Father. Thank you for Your Word, Your Word of encouragement, and how how such a great example from the Apostle Paul how You kept him and and uh, helped him to. He's you know he's nearing the end of his ministry and uh, and there he was, w- ready and willing to finish the course. So Lord, help us. Wherever we are on, on the path, wherever we are on our journey with you, uh, help us to have that mindset um, looking to you and what you would have us to do. So help us to not be distracted, but to be um, walk that narrow road. Keep us on the narrow road, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, who's got anything to say?